guard your tongue. And I was thinking, oh dear, the more I read here, the more I thought about it, the more big finger of guilt pointed at me. It was going, this is about you, John. How often have I succumbed to that urge to voice my opinion before I really understood the facts? Um, And I can't help but think that sometimes it shouldn't be me here talking to you about this other than to say, hey, these are the pitfalls. I've been in them all. Amongst other things, uh, I gather that James, the people that James wrote to were gaining a reputation for enjoying a, a good gossip. And I suppose a big part of the issue here is that we all love to gossip. We can't resist it. Newspapers thrive on it. Magazines survive on it. And soap opera, well, it's alive on it because it feeds our desire to nose into people's lives. We can't help it. And the more first-hand that knowledge, the better. And this is why we have to be first with the news. We like hot gossip. We're not interested in old news as the Rolling Stones title went, Who Wants Yesterday's Papers? We all do it. Uh, Four preachers met for a friendly gathering and during the conversation, one preacher said, Hey, you know, our people come to us and they pour out their hearts, confess their sins and their needs. Don't you think we should do the same? Confession is good for the soul. So in due time, they all agreed, and one confessed that he'd like to go to the movies, another would sneak, up and would sneak off away when he was away from church, the second confessed that he liked smoking cigars, and the third one confessed that he'd like to play cards. When it came to the fourth one, he was quite reticent. He wouldn't confess. The others pressed him, saying, come on, we've confessed our sins. What's your secret? And finally he answers, I love to gossip, and I can hardly wait to get away from here. (laughs) So our our language is just full of all these uh, terms that recognize this gossip or the fact that we try to discourage people from talking and, you know, things like, I should keep quiet about this if I were you. Keep stum. Keep, keep your lips sealed. Or in World War Two, there were things like loose lips sink ships or careless talk costs lives, all recognising the dangers of speaking. And then we've got more coarse ones, more like shut your mouth... Uh, a, very, a very old one I heard again when I went... I was brought up initially in Yorkshire, and then when I was about 40, I went back to live there for a while. And I was at one of these horse shows, you know, where young girls get dressed up to their nines and all this looking posh on their horses. And then there was an altercation between two of these young women, and out came this term, Shut your cake hole, you! And I thought, I haven't heard that for years and years and years. And there's loads of them, aren't there? So that's very much recognising that we can't hold our tongue. Uh, But let's take a look at the scripture. Wearsby, who he's looked at this, and he's broken this 
thing down into three bits, really, is the power of the tongue to direct, the power of the tongue to be destructive, and the power to delight. And I'm glad that he's gone in that order, so we end up on a reasonably good note. James says, uh, starts off by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And why would James say this? We do seem to have high expectations of teachers and leaders and church leaders, don't we? But why are leaders judged so harshly? And I can only believe it's because of the influence that they have on others. One tongue influencing many other people. With influencing will come the concept of power, and with the concept of power comes corruption. Uh, So there's one perspective. And from another perspective, uh, I recall a scandal when the vicar that married me first time ran off with one of the congregation. Um, And I know this story isn't unique. Uh, The pastor who baptised Margaret and I, told me that frequently he was tempted by female members of the church to try and have affairs with him. And so, you know, it again tells me that it's not unique. And we frequently hear about school teachers of both sexes having inappropriate relationships with their students. So people in these positions, I think, we have high expectations of them or placed upon them, but they face temptations of power uh, and corruption and temptations of the flesh. So it's quite tough, I think, in that respect to lead a life of temptation. But James goes on to say, he said, we all stumble in many ways, and I love this simple sentence, because we, it's so inclusive, including James, we, and then uh, all, meaning every one of we, will stumble, trip, momentarily lose one's balance, get knocked off kilter, taken by surprise. In many ways, he said. So I think James is acknowledging, really, that we are all guaranteed to fail. No matter how hard we try, we will fail. And he then follows that on by saying, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Well, we know that none of us is perfect, but a perfect person would. But it is the direction, isn't it, in which we can aim to go in. Never expect to achieve, perhaps, but it is the direction in which we ought to move. So James then goes on to talk about a bit in a horse's mouth, the rudder on a ship. And I was speaking with Paul Pace the other day, and a recent visit to SS Great Britain in Bristol. And when he was walking under the ship, he, was, he noticed how small the rudder was 
one compared to the rest of the ship. It's really tiny. And the bit that we use on a horse is really small compared to the rest of the body. Yet they have the capability to guide those large bodies. Ships sail in treacherous seas, strong winds, tugging currents. And these are hugely disturbing forces, yet under the control of a functioning rudder, the ship can remain on course. For me, that course of the ship represents the course of our lives. And we are subject all the time to strong external influences represented by the pulling and the drawing of distracting temptations. They're around us always. But there was something about James and I that didn't quite sit right with me because he said anyone who's never at fault is perfect, but able to keep their whole body in check. And he seems to be saying, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body, as if your tongue controls your body. And I kind of go, I'm wondering what he really meant here. And I'm just guessing, but... The rudder doesn't act on its own. It is actually operated by a person. A person that has knowledge of the currents, experience of the unpredictable nature of the seas, an understanding of the behaviour of the ship, a knowledge of the geography of the world, an ability to use a chart to avoid reefs. That person armed with all that knowledge, exercises judgment and decides in which direction and by how much to deflect that rudder in order to navigate the ship safely. In short, it requires the application of wisdom. And that wisdom was acquired knowledge and experience. Proverbs 9, Solomon says, To be wise, you must obey the Lord. If you know the Holy One, you will have understanding. That's very much like the navigator of the ship and all that knowledge and understanding, the huge variety of things that have to deal with. For us, translated simply, if you like, if you know the Holy One, you will have understanding. And then, preceded by that, if to be wise, you must first obey the Lord. Wisdom will add years to your life. You are the one who will profit if you have wisdom. And if you reject it, you are the one who will suffer. Just grab a drink. So James tells us that it can go horribly wrong. And maybe he's right. The tongue is very difficult to control. It's very small. I kind of think it's right next to our brain. And so it's just so easy and quick to activate. And the tongue reveals what's inside. 
What if you're not able to control how you think? Then you're not able to control how or what your tongue says. Um, And you can start off a train of events that you might really regret. And I'm sure we've all been there at some point in our life. We've said something and gone, oh. Or later on, we've gone, oh. But if the tongue is not under the control of a wise person, then it can go off course, be very inflammatory, igniting the flames of gossip that spread like wildfire. And the hotter the gossip, the more the flames are fanned. And before you know it, the whole thing is beyond control, wreaking havoc. And James says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself a fire by hell. Sorry, is itself set on fire by hell. He paints a dreadful picture, doesn't he? And here, I think, we're talking about gossip, but I have the feeling gossip with malice, if you like. And just reading a letter in the Guardian to, uh, like a dear Deidre letter here is, I have created a family rift by accidentally forwarding an email to my sister-in-law that was meant for my daughter. The email was critical of my niece, who is in her 20s and very spoiled. My sister-in-law was outraged, and although I sent her a groveling apology, I'm wondering if she'll speak to me again. What can I do? Makes it a little bit worse here. She's the sister of my ex-husband, and after the divorce, I remain very friendly with her up till now. Can you help? It's so easy. One little statement dropped in and Sometimes, though, we misuse our tongue to big ourselves up, if you like. Uh, Sometimes we feel the need to make make ourselves look better than we really are. And I suppose the matter of truth is that we actually feel inadequate and try and retell the story. Imagine an incident, and in the retelling of it, maybe we exaggerate our actions, or maybe we describe someone else's actions as being our own. You were the person who saved the situation. You were the person who played a key role that changed the situation. Not only do we put spin on ourselves, but often we elevate ourselves by pushing someone else down. Uh, And Proverbs again, Proverbs 10 says, to slander is to be a fool. It's a foolish thing. Short-term gain, perhaps. Uh, 
And this past few weeks, we have witnessed enough slander from our politicians to last us a lifetime, I think. And it seems to be rare to find a political candidate that will run a clean campaign. However, it's not limited to politicians. Uh, Given the right circumstances, each one of us can be tempted to denigrate another. Um, And we really shouldn't need to push down others to boost ourselves up. We should be working together. Um, 1 Peter 4, chapter 4. Above all, love each other warmly. Because love covers many sins. Welcome each other as guests without complaining. Each of you, as a good manager, must use the gift that God has given you to serve others. And sometimes, you know, uh, moving on, but sometimes we're just angry and we want to give vent, don't we? And I bet we've all done this in the car. I'm like reminded, you know, a father and his young son travelling together. The father accidentally sounds the horn and he says to his son, hey, I did that accidentally. And the son looked back at him and said, yeah, I know, Dad. The son was really quizzical. He says, how did you know? The son smiled and simply said, you didn't swear and thump the steering wheel afterwards. <laughs> so, um, but we had that referendum this week. And I guess half of us are unhappy with the situation. The other half might be pleased with the situation. But sometimes we find ourselves in unpleasant situations and we end up using our tongues, if you like, to run the situation down, run our people down, or just moan. And there's an article in the UCB uh, talking about stop moaning, but make the best of the situation. And in Jeremiah, I think, there's an example there. So Jeremiah 29, in a letter to the exiles. I uh, have extracted a few sentences. I hope you don't mind, but I just needed to make it a little bit more brief. So it says, this is a letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar, struggle with that name, had carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. And it said, This is what Lord Almighty God of Israel says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too 
will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. And then he goes on to say, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back from this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So very much in there is the idea of don't sit around moaning, waiting for God to improve your situation. He expects us to use the gifts we were given Put it simply, stop whinging and get on with it. And that's transiting into his last section, which is about moving into into praise, if you like. Um, The power to delight. James goes back to this duplicity of humans. This fact that we will say good things, we will say bad things. We will say something but mean something else. Yet in nature, it's a simple, direct honesty. And that last bit is looking at that statement. He says, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And then he's going to talk about the simpleness and straight honesty of nature. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Yeah, we are all guilty of misusing our tongues but we can put more effort into using it for God's purpose, for good. And the Bible, I'm just taking an extract now from the Bible in one year, from the 20th of March. Um, The author spoke of a, a prison in Lusaka in Zambia. The prison was built in 1950 for 250 men. Today it holds 1,300, so many more people in four times many more thereabouts. The large cells designed to hold 50 people now hold 150. As you might imagine, the heat and the stench is almost unbearable. And this is what they said. The cells surround a courtyard which is at the centre of the prison. We held a service there. And maybe because there was nothing else to do, virtually every one of the inmates attended. The service was led by a man who had been waiting trial for four years. He was a Christian pastor who was accused of some minor offence. 
for which the penalty in England would probably have been a small fine if he had been convicted. Though he may well have been innocent, this man had been languishing in prison for four years, unconvicted, without a trial, and not knowing when he would be released, if ever. I will never forget his opening words when he began the service. God is good all the time. Here was a man who had absolute confidence in the goodness of God. Not because of the circumstances he was in, but in spite of them. And from the point of view of God in your tongue, here was a man in a dreadful situation where he could have moaned and groaned and we might have expected him to moan and groan, but he chose to do what good he could. But the only thing at his disposal, his tongue. Perhaps he was placed there by God to encourage others to look to God, to give others encouragement. And maybe we could take a leaf out of his book and search for the goodness in every situation. We never know what God intends for us, but maybe we do.